Our U.S. military and military veterans are our country's greatest assets. But service comes with a price. Post-traumatic stress is our enemy, and our mission today is Operation Healing Heroes. Brought to you by Great Clips. Hey everyone, it's Jay Garstecki, and welcome to another edition of the Operation Healing Heroes podcast, where we document the lives of our U.S. military veterans one story at a time. In addition, we provide resources for veterans and their family members who may be struggling with post-traumatic stress so they can get the help that they absolutely deserve. Be sure to check out our TV show, Operation Healing Heroes, on Discovery Channel, Waypoint TV, Wired to Fish TV, Amazon Prime, and YouTube. Join me today as we talk to Travis Bennett, a United States Army National Guard veteran who served from 2013 to 2019. Please join me today as we share his story. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. Hey, Travis, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, taking the time to join me today. Yeah, thanks for asking me to come on the show, uh, Jay. I'm, I'm excited to kind of talk about uh, my military career and, and some of the stuff I've gone through. Perfect. Well, Travis, you and I know each other from uh, the Minnesota Blue Ox USPHL hockey team. Uh, my son Justin plays on that team as a goalie. You and I were introduced uh, early on, actually, before he even started playing with the team. And um, you welcomed me with open arms to the uh, not only to the team, but also to... Uh, just the the stuff that you uh, you guys do for veterans through the Blue Ox community and family, and I just can't say thank you enough because the Blue Ox is an amazing place to not only for my son to play hockey, but for me as a family, as a, a dad, a goalie dad, and to to be. I mean, it's a it's an amazing experience for him, and uh, we're just we're thankful for the the Minnesota Blue Ox. Yeah, it's it's been great to add you to that Blue Ox family, um, and everything that you you've brought to the Blue Ox too. Um, has just been incredible. Your support for veterans and helping us support veterans has really, really taken us to the next level of being a great place for veterans to have a safe haven at those Blue Ox games. So I appreciate everything you've done to to take us to that next level too, Jay. It's it's been amazing. You and your family uh, are incredible. Thanks, man. I I appreciate appreciate that. And it's fun to be around guys like Freddie and uh, the four Oxmen and all those, you know, guys, we've got a lot of veterans that come to every one of those hockey games and support our, our youth, our, our kids and, um, having the, the first fighting for freedom charity event last year was absolutely amazing. And, uh, I just can't wait for another season of hockey this fall. Uh, I know boys are already training. It's going to be a, a great season. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And, you know, we got a lot to build on from last year. You said the operation healing heroes game and, you know, we got to have a 99. He's a hundred this year. Uh, World War II vet out on the, the ice for puck drop for that, and my, my grandpa got honored being a 94-year-old Korean War vet, so just some of those memories that you never forget, um, and were really cool memories to have, so cool. Well, Travis, Travis is the guy behind the microphone at all of the uh, Minnesota Blue Ox games, so if you live in the Coon Rapids area of Minnesota, please make sure you check out uh, uh, a Minnesota Blue Ox hockey game, uh, usually on what Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, something like that is when we have games uh, home and away. But we play around the whole 
Minnesota and uh, central Wisconsin area. And so it's a, it's a lot of fun. So again, thank you for, for what you do. Thanks for being, uh, for your service. And then also thank you for honest, honoring our veterans uh, through the Blue Ox community. So we appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, Travis, as I mentioned, you served in the uh, United States Army National Guard from 2013 to 2019. Uh, before we get to your time in service, though, uh, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about uh, life growing up. Um, where did you grow up? What was life like? Siblings, parents, that type of thing. Yeah, so kind of growing up, uh, I hopped around a little bit when I was real young. Um, I'm actually from southeast Missouri, a town called Cape Girardeau, down in what they call the boot heel of uh, Missouri on the Mississippi River, uh, moved up to Illinois. Um, my brother was born in Peoria. We lived in uh, Peoria, Illinois for a couple of years. And I, my dad took a job up in Minnesota. So we relocated up to Minnesota where my mom's side of the family is. And uh, growing up, I was an athlete. Um, I, I played five sports in high school. Uh, my whole, you know, childhood played soccer and hockey year round. Um, if I wasn't on the ice rink, I was on the soccer field. Uh, when getting into high school, I uh, kind of took hockey a little more serious, um, and then I started getting into football. Um, I found out being a soccer player, I could kick things really well. Hmm. Kind of a nice little talent I had, so I uh, started doing special teams work and working my way into kick return, punt return for football. And um, you know, great childhood growing up too. Um, I don't know if I mentioned I had a younger brother who was also very active as an athlete. My mom and dad were super supportive of all of it. Um, but uh, after high school, I actually played uh, college football. Um, I was a whole five foot seven on a good day and 160 pounds and thought I could be a kick returner playing D2 football. So that was a fun adventure that did not pan out very well. Uh, I think I had uh, more parties attended than classes attended, um, just kind of living the, living the high life, having fun, you know, being on the football team at a, a small town. I, I grew up in, in Blaine, Minnesota. My school was 3,000 uh, students, and the, the college I went to was 1,300 in the entire town. Um, so partying was a lot, lot more, which uh, kind of eventually led me down the road to why I joined the National Guard. But, you know, I, I was just an athlete. I figured I was always going to be an athlete, had no real plans for being an adult just wanted to play sports and that's it i wanted to be on the rink i wanted to be on the field um but yeah i went to college and i actually uh, i failed out of college uh, i remember my coach called me in one day and he was like hey you know you got to actually show up to class once in a while and i'm like i was like i got an a minus in math he goes you have b's and f's in all of your other classes and i was like well b's get degrees right and he's like well you're suspended from the team uh, you can't practice with us. You got to go to tutoring. Uh, you, you can't, you can't do anything fun. You're grounded essentially. <laughs> and so, uh, I had a pickup truck back then and I was kind of pissed off and packed up my pickup truck and, and, uh, threw everything I owned in my dorm. And, uh, I was going to school in Northeast Iowa and about a four hour drive back to the, to Blaine where I was living. But I left. I didn't even tell anyone. I just told my, I emailed my advisor the next day. I said, Hey, yeah, I'm done with school. I drop out. Um, and, uh, I came home and I just wanted to be a bum. I played men's league hockey and didn't have a job. Didn't want to do anything. Just slept, partied, played hockey. And, uh, my mom one day said, either you're getting a job or you're moving out. And so I called a recruiter the next day to kind of be like, all right, mom, I'm leaving the state. I'm going to go, going to go join the army. So, 
was kind of what started my conversation with joining the guard. I didn't really have a plan. I didn't, you know, oh yeah, this is definitely going to do. It was more of a, uh, well, I got nothing better to do. Um, so I actually talked with the recruiter, met with the recruiter for a while, um, ended up enlisting into, uh, aviation, uh, 15 Echo, which is a UAV mechanic, which I thought was going to be really cool. I played Call of Duty, so, you know, I thought it was going to be this kind of cool drone operator and re- repairman, um, which it definitely was not, uh, <laughs> which we can touch more on. And uh, when we talk about what I did, uh, but April of 2013, I enlisted in the military, and, and, and from there, my life really changed, so... So, uh, did you come from any type of a military background? Did you have, uh, you know, grandfather, your dad, anybody, or any other family members that served in the military? Kind of, sort of. Um, so my grandfather on my dad's side, uh, was actually a a Navy vet in World War II. Um, you know, I never actually got to meet him and talk to him about it. I passed away before I was born. Uh, but I heard stories. He was in all the campaigns. I have his medals actually framed at my house. He's got the American campaign, the Pacific, uh, and then the European uh, and African campaigns from World War II. So, you know, I've never heard the stories from him, but based on those medals, you know, he did something cool. He did something, yeah. you know, badass. Uh, and then uh, my grand- my grandfather on my mom's side uh, was a Korean War vet, uh, enlisted, uh, went green to gold. I think they called it back then ended up being coming a captain, uh, when he was over in Korea, uh, he worked on like the landing crafts, the ones that were on the water that would bring like the deuce and a half to land and stuff. Um, but again, never really talked about it or anything. He did his, I think he did five, six years and, and got out when never really talked about it. And then, uh, my dad's brother, my uncle was a Marine, uh, Vietnam vet, um, I talked to him a little bit about it. He actually influenced me uh, into joining when I was talking to him one day about what I wanted to do. And he wanted me to become a Marine, uh, but I thought the Army was a little more fitting for me. But, you know, he didn't really tell me many stories. I know he was out, out in Vietnam early on. Uh, he was with heavy machinery, so he bought a, built a lot of the infrastructure for the Vietnam War and stuff. So hmm. uh, he kind of influenced me to get into the military and, and give that a shot, you know. I mean, I remember one day sitting there and he's like, you can be a deadbeat or you can be a deadbeat veteran, but you can't just be a deadbeat in this family. Um, and I, you know, it kind of stuck with me that, you know, I can do something with my life more than just sitting on the couch and playing men's league hockey. So a uh, little bit of a military background in my family, not, not, you know, my parents weren't really in or anything. My dad uh, caught pneumonia and uh, basic training for the Navy and got a discharge, but hmm. my uncle definitely in my career too, I would say. Interesting. So what made you uh, decide on the Army National Guard? I mean, when you decided you basically were going to go into the military, what uh, did you do your due diligence and check out all the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, all that stuff, or did you just basically? So, so I, I did check them all out. Uh, the Army National Guard recruiter was the one that took me to lunch first. I always joke. Um, but in reality, um, I wanted to go to school to be a weatherman, a meteorologist eventually. Uh, so I kind of liked the fact that with the national guard, I would just do the, you know, two weekends a month and the the, one weekend a month and two weekends in the summer, whatever they, they lie to get you to sign the paperwork. Uh, but I really kind of wanted to just have that as maybe some structure in my life to get a little bit of a job, get some money coming in, uh, you know, see where that adventure 
took me, I kind of viewed it more as this would be an adventure, but, uh, you know, get into school, use the school benefits, become a, a meteorologist. Um, and, you know, growing up, I always, I was always fascinated with, with military people. My, you know, my parents would take me to a lot of patriotic events and I'd meet a lot of army, uh, soldiers and, you know, always thank them for their service and stuff. And so in the back of my head from my childhood, I was always like, oh, being an army soldier would be so cool. Like it would just, you, the respect that they command and, and stuff, it would just be cool. So that played a big part into it. Uh, it was kind of my childhood always growing up playing army, I guess. Cool. Very cool. So, uh, your relationship with your, your parents and your brother was, is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my mom's great. Um, I have a two year old son right now. Uh, well, he's two, two years old this Saturday. So nice. a couple more days and he'll be two. Um, she's an amazing grandma. She's really helped me, uh, flourish as a dad. And then my younger brother and I play hockey to, together a lot. Uh, my dad unfortunately passed away, uh, two years ago this August. So, um, I was really close with my dad. I'd say I was closest with my dad, but you know, I was, I was close. We had a great family, you know, we didn't really go on vacations. As you know, as a hockey family, your vacations are to an out of town tournament. Uh, but you know, it was always fun. We'd travel the country playing hockey. Um, and my family was real supportive, especially when I decided, uh, decided to join, uh, the military, they were very supportive of my decision. So cool. that meant a lot to me. Excellent. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about your uh, time in the military. Uh, I want to hear about, uh, you know, where you went boot camp and, uh, and your time in service. Uh, anything more on the childhood that you'd like to cover? Uh, no, no, that I can really think of. Uh... All right. No problem. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. And by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is 22-0. We believe there's a better way to heal trauma and unhelpful negative emotions, not teach you to cope with them. The Trauma Resiliency Protocol, TRP, is for post-traumatic stress and acute stress. The Emotions Management Process, EMP, is for extreme negative triggers involving unhelpful emotions like sadness, anger, or shame, often accompanying traumatic or significant emotional events. During these therapies, you're not required to discuss the trauma. Everything centers around the triggered emotions. They become malleable when active. We change the state of the emotions, not the memory. There are no costs or fees associated with veteran coaching. Best of all, you can do the work remotely in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.220.org for more information. And we're talking to Travis Bennett. Travis, thank you again for taking the time to uh, talk with us today and share your story. Uh, sounds like an interesting childhood. Had some fun going to college, partying, maybe a little too much, but uh, you yeah. know, found your way by going into the military, and uh, it probably sculpted you to be the sculpted you. I should sculpted you to be the the, the person you are today or the man you are today. So, uh, would you say the military was good for you? Oh, it was phenomenal for me. Um, starting off in basic training, I mean, 
I wouldn't be who I am today without the military. I really credit a lot of what I can do and how I act today from, from the military. So I'm grateful. That's cool. So tell us about life in the military. Uh, where'd you go to boot camp? Yeah. So I went to boot camp, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, right off the bat, you know, I kind of went into the mindset of, yeah, I'm gonna get through this. I'm going to go home and, you know, get into college. And, uh, but I had a drill sergeant there, uh, who just, I mean, this, this man was amazing. Um, drill Sergeant Ares, uh, the first day, uh, that he met me, uh, I'll never forget this. He's, he just looked at me and I must have had a stupid smirk or a stupid look on my face, but he said he was going to break me and make me the strongest man I could be. And this man pushed me to my limit. Uh, you know, we'd be doing practicing for PT tests, doing PT in the morning. And I was always pretty good at PT testing. This man would come over and, and, and put a 25 pound weight on my back while we're doing push ups. And uh, he would tell me zeros every time I was doing a perfect push up and just mentally just really pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and, and uh, really taught me to unlock, you know, my true potential. Um, I remember sitting in the office one day with him and Drill Sergeant Sanchez, and he's like, you know, there's three men inside of you there's there's the man that you think you are the man that everyone else sees and the men that the man that you have potential to be and he mm-hmm. said we're unlocking that man that you have potential to be bennett he he, he I, I credit that man with turning my life around mm-hmm. um every detail took me on every time he could yell at me he yelled at me uh you know i remember one time we're sitting in the chow hall and uh i was the last to go in uh, just because of how we went in. And he told me I had 30 seconds to eat my entire dinner. And he said, Bennett, you're either going to eat it all in 30 seconds or you're going to be hungry till till breakfast tomorrow. And I threw all my food together and I shoved it all into my face using my hands. And and uh, and then he decided to double time us back to the barracks. So we dropped, you know, after stuffing an entire dinner meal in in 30 seconds, uh, we jogged back to the barracks, which is about a mile jog. And he told me if I puked, he was going to, he was going to smoke the entire unit all night until everyone puked. And it taught me discipline, you know, just those little things that stuck with me that, you know, it's your mind that has to be strong. Like when your body's weak, your mind has to be strong to mm-hmm. push through those events and push through the hard times. And, and when basic finished, you know, he pulled me aside and he said, I pushed you because I knew that you could be better than what you were putting out. Mm. And, uh, you know, it really stuck with me. And, uh, he, he was right. You know, I was just going through life, checking boxes and, you know, after he kind of molded and shaped me, um, I really learned what I was capable of, of what I could push the limits of and what my body could do and what my mind could do. Uh, but yeah, after Fort Sill basic, I, uh, went out to training for UAV mechanic out in, uh, Fort Huachuca, Arizona, which is a gorgeous base, uh, up in the mountains in Southern Arizona, about, probably 15 minutes from the border. Uh, you're up at 34, 3,500 feet with a Canyon behind you, uh, two mountain ranges kind of come together there and, uh, just had a great experience out there. I kind of continued on with, uh, everything I'd learned in basic where I'd really learned to, you know, mind over matter kind of thing and excelled in class. Ironically, I was top of my class, Hmm. which was polar opposite of where I was in college, where I was probably like the last guy in class. Um, really excelled with the learning, uh, learned a lot. And I actually had a, a pretty good opportunity when I was in training, um, 
which my National Guard unit that I had been with at the time had okayed me to stay in Arizona and get the additional training to work on a bigger airframe, uh, bigger UAV airframe, which was cool, and actually contract with um, Border Patrol down there. Um, so I got to live in Arizona and get stationed in Arizona for a while, uh, which was super cool. Um, working with Border Patrol was, it had its, it had its days. Um, a lot of time spent driving around up and down the border, uh, you know, a lot of lost families who were dehydrated because, you know, uh, they would pay people to come over and the people would get them to a spot and kind of tell them, Oh, this is the rest of the way. You just walk that way and you'll hit a town and you know, their walk might be three, four days. And so by the time we would find them, they were, they were so dehydrated. You could, you could see bones sometimes. There was Hmm. just no water left. Um, uh, so it definitely, it woke me up being from, you know, Twin Cities, Minnesota, you know, suburban, grew up in a, a you know, four bedroom house, played sports to, to see. And, you know, I, I remember one that really stuck with me is we had a family of four that we, we found out uh, just walking aimlessly. They're, you know, lost. And they had one bottle of water for the family of four. And the youngest one was probably two years old, which, you know, mm-hmm. I really uh, connect with now having a two year old. But, uh, you know, they were just so dehydrated that we had to stick IVs in them right then and there. Um, mm. You know, as a dad, uh, a wife and two kids, and they just, you know, they had been walking for about four days without water. Um, oh. And, I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but I can't go 30 minutes without water. Right. And uh, about 100, 100 degrees out that day. It was hot. I remember being in my, you know, my IBA and, and all my gear, and I was like, oh. And I was sitting in an air-conditioned suburban, and I was complaining when we found them and just meeting them kind of really taught me that, you know, there's more to life than, you know, money and, mm-hmm. and all that, but, you know, what real happiness was, but, uh, you know, I got to, you know, change some lives helping out with that. And it was, it was really cool. But, uh, you know, unfortunately my dad had a stroke while I was doing that. And so I started to spiral back into the drinking, um, kind of going back downhill and, and uh, it's kind of when my mental health struggles really started. Uh, being stuck in Arizona, couldn't get home. Uh, found out my dad had been laying on the floor of his bathroom for like almost three days after having a stroke. Oh my uh, Yeah, really hard because um, I was close with my dad. And, uh, you know, just couldn't get home to him. And you feel hopeless. So I started drinking, ended up getting in a little bit of trouble. Uh, got an Article 15, which everyone jokes, you can't become a sergeant major without an Article 15 in your, your resume. Uh, but lost my opportunity to kind of stay active duty down there, um, and contracting with the, uh, border patrol, um, which I kind of, you know, hurt and I was bummed about it, uh, from Fort Huachuca, Arizona. I went to Fort Gordon, Georgia, um, where I actually met one of my best friends. He was my roommate when I was training there, uh, to be a 94 Fox, which was small device repair, which is a job I never did once in my career. Once I, uh, (laughs) Once I left, um, unlike working on the UAVs, I worked on those a lot, getting those in the air. But uh, met uh, JJ. Uh, he was my roommate. Uh, just, you know, this happy-go-lucky guy uh, from from NODAC. Played hockey. Uh, and uh, we can touch on him a little bit later uh, when we talk about what I did after that military. I got a cool story with him after, after my military career. But, uh, yeah, I was Fort Gordon, Georgia, which is in Augusta, Georgia. Um, so that was super cool. Uh, I, I got to go out and see where the masters are played, which was really cool and got to enjoy the Georgia life. But 
um, after my training, I came back to the, the national guard and, uh, I got stuck with, uh, the two to the one, four seventh out of Holman airfield in, in St. Paul. Uh, we were a support unit for, uh, the black Hawk helicopters. And, uh, I really wanted to get back into flying and aviation. So, uh, I took every opportunity I could when I was in the national guard to go on orders or work AGR, uh, to work full time, you know, anything they needed, I would volunteer for. I really, really wanted to become a, a crew chief, uh, in the, uh, in the helicopters, uh, thought it would be really cool or a pilot. And, uh, but I was still drinking a lot. Um, so, you know, this was coming into end of 2013, beginning of 2014, I was drinking a lot and, uh, kind of had some other stuff going on, wasn't working another job. Um, and, uh, I kind of hit one of my rock bottoms. I've hit rock bottom twice in my, my life, I'd say. And this was my first rock bottom, but April of, uh, 2014, um, I just got suicidal. Um, you know, I just was like, you know, I was real depressed about losing my opportunity with the border patrol and, you know, wasn't finding a job cause I was trying so hard to move up in my military career, but I had that kind of article 15 holding me back. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of had a stretch where I just was like, ah, I'm worthless. Um, which, you know, is a big stigma now in uh, the military today. So, um, I, I remember the first time, um, uh, I was talking to my therapist and, my therapist was like, well, are you suicidal? I said, yeah, I'd, I'd easily kill myself. I could go home today. I got five different ways I could kill myself. Am I going to act on it? No, but I could. And, uh, she left the room real quick and actually called, uh, the fire department on me. I was up in, uh, Elk river and they, they took me to the hospital, put me on a 72 hour hold. And I just, I hated it. I was so pissed off. I thought I could trust her. And here I am getting, I felt like I was getting locked up in jail, being put on a 72 hour hold. So, uh, when I got out, I put on the happy face for everyone cause I didn't want anyone else to put me in, in, you know, I felt like I was contained and in jail. And, uh, then April of, of 2014, I woke up one morning and I was just, I was done. I was like, this shit sucks. Uh, I'm done. I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, I filled a, a water bottle, a Gatorade bottle. Uh, I had probably about half Gatorade left in it. I filled it with a uh, windshield wiper fluid. So antifreeze and, uh, I decided that I was going to go for a two mile run. Um, you know, and left the water bottle there sitting on my, my doorstep knowing that after a two mile run, I'd be exhausted and, and my body would be like, Oh, you need fluids. And so I went out, did my two mile run, uh, ran out to my point, ran back, came back. I was dying of thirst, um, which was kind of what I had planned. And I, you know, there's that Gatorade bottle sitting there and I chugged it. It was one of those big, the bigger ones chugged it, uh, the 20 ounces or whatever, chugged the whole thing and, uh, you know, went inside like I had done or went to go inside like I had done nothing, you know, and I just figured I just let it take its course. I'd take a nap and not wake up. And I started projectile vomiting on the doorstep, uh, mm. just vomiting over my body. I was trying to get the toxins out and we were living in townhomes in Ramsey, Minnesota. At the time I was living on my mom's couch just cause I was, I was being a bum and just feeling sorry for myself. And, uh, my neighbor, uh, I just gotten home from work and she was an athletic trainer and she didn't come approach me or anything. Um, she saw me projectile vomiting. I think I was on all fours at this time and she called nine one one. And, uh, you know, some of this is a little blurry cause obviously I was throwing up so much, but I just remember, uh, a, a police officer rolling up real quick and then an ambulance and they're like, Hey, what's going on? And 
know, I try to play it off. I'm like, oh, it's just food poisoning. And they, they saw the water bottle and stuff. And they're like, oh, you good? Like, what happened? You're throwing up a ton. Like, let's get you in the ambulance, get you some fluids. And I was sitting in the ambulance and uh, the uh, the paramedic was a veteran too. Uh, he was a Navy vet. And he said, hey, man, he goes, you good? He goes, I smelt that Gatorade and that's not fucking Gatorade. And I'm sorry for swearing, but that's what he said. He's like, that's not Gatorade. He goes, what'd you do? He goes, I'm a Navy vet. You know, you told me you're a vet. I can tell you're a vet from your tattoos and stuff. Lunch time was gone. And I told him I broke down in the, the back of that ambulance crying. And I said, man, uh, it's, it's full of windshield wiper fluid. It's got antifreeze in it. And I, I went for a two-mile run today, man. I wanted to be dead. I wanted to be done. Um, so they took me up to Mercy Hospital in Coon Rapids. And uh, I spent four weeks in the hospital. Um, I was in ICU, stepped down. Uh, screwed up my kidney a little bit. Um, I had to do, uh, I actually had to do dialysis. Um, I had to put a stint in my neck. I had surgery. Hmm. Uh, they put a stint in my neck and I was doing dialysis, uh, two or three times a day for about five days to just clear all the toxins out. Cause my kidney couldn't process all of those, those toxins. And, uh, and, uh, after that, I went up to the mental health floor and I was locked up there for about two, three weeks. And I, I almost got to the point where the state of Minnesota was going to commit me to a mental hospital. Um, but I kind of gave in then and there to kind of better my mental health, started talking with the therapist and got on a plan and kind of got my, my life back on track. Uh, started doing, you know, real good in the military. Then started, uh, I, uh, you know, being a pilot was kind of closed off at that point. So uh, I started really driving a lot of the big vehicles for my unit and uh, became one of our instructors for driving. Uh, so I'd give driving classes all the time, uh, which was kind of cool. It gave me that sense of purpose again and working a ton um, with teaching that and uh, got on a ton of orders for my unit. We, uh, in 2017, uh, we mobilized the entire battalion, uh, went down to Fort Hood, Texas for XCT training and uh i got to be a, a big part of that um i was a specialist at the time but i was playing the role of an e5 or an e6 uh, i was in charge of a lot of the logistics for moving all the vehicles up to camp ripley to get on the railhead um and training up people on how to uh drive the the large vehicles i usually drove a, a pls which is an eighty-eight thousand pound five axle truck um so that was cool it's a big truck uh but really got to uh you know felt like I was part of something really felt like my career was taken back off, but, uh, on orders all the time, bringing all the vehicles up to camp Ripley. Uh, I was part of, uh, you know, getting all the vehicles on the railhead and I had E sevens as a specialist. I had E sevens come up asking me, Oh, Hey, what do we want to do with this truck? How do we do this truck? Can you drive this truck? And, you know, really, really started to feel that sense of worth again. Like I had when I was, you know, with the border patrol and stuff. Mm -hmm. After, after uh, we went down to XCTC, I got to go down early before everyone went out, um, unload all those vehicles, stage them all, get them all ready. Uh, went through XCTC, um, pulled a specialist. I always joke in the, you know, the, the specialist mafia, the E4 mafia, pulled an E4 mafia moment down there that if my first sergeant's listening today, I'm sorry, top, uh, they did not deliver to the post, but we were all hungry after coming back from the field and we had missed chow and, uh, so when everyone was napping, I, I borrowed, I borrowed a Humvee to go to Whataburger and bought $80 worth of Whataburger and snuck back onto post and fed everyone. <laughs> and when Top asked me about it, I just said, oh yeah, they delivered. And we never talked about it again because he had a hamburger and, and fries. So definitely pulled a, an E4. I can't really get in trouble for this moment there, uh, which made me feel good because, you know, I got 
take care of my boys, got to take <laughs> care of my troop. Uh, you know, we had been in the field for about a week and a half. So we were, we wanted some real food, no more MREs or, or the, the field cooked meals, but got to stay after XCTC explore, um, clean and, and that area a little bit and help reload all the vehicles. We come back up to Minnesota and brought all the vehicles from Camp Ripley back to the cities. And then, uh, in 2018, uh, we mobilized for pre-deployment training at NTC at Fort Irwin, which Fort Irwin is a beast. So again, real busy getting all those vehicles on the railhead, uh, in charge of a lot of the log- logistics with the vehicles and getting them ready with the radios and the comms and all that stuff, which, you know, I was busy. And, uh, at this point I'd been at the hangar so much, they were letting me get in the helicopters and fly. Uh, so, you know, I'd work you know, getting the rail, the vehicles up to the rail until about four, you know, 1600, 4 PM. And, and then afterwards, they're like, Hey, we're going for night flight. You want to go? And I got to fly a ton, uh, got to, you know, practice kind of crew chiefing, um, because I was really, I was coming up on a reenlistment and I was going to change to a 15 tango. Um, and so I kind of slid into a slot there where I was crew chiefing with them and flying a little bit. And it was super cool. And I was like, yeah, my dreams are coming true. I, you know, I can get into this, can get into warrant officer school, become a pilot. Um, and then, uh, we went to NTC, uh, NTC is a beast. If no one's ever been there, uh, you go around kind of training for deployment. You spend two weeks out in the sandbox. They call it, uh, playing war. Uh, they have op four out there and it's, it's a, it's a, a little, it's a beast. They throw, uh, you know, pepper grenades at you, the CS grenades at you. So you got to put on your mop gear. So you're not getting, you know, CS, they, they attack you in the middle of the night. They have grenades that pop and make noise and stuff like that. And, and it's a, it's a beast. It's, it's not easy training and you're in death Valley. So it was hot, but, um, so we were out at NTC. I'm kind of riding the highs of my career. I'm, I'm important. I'm our ammo guy. I'm hazmat certified. I'm the guy that's got to go get ammo and food for the, the entire battalion. So, you know, everyone's like, Oh yeah, Bennett, that's the man. And, um, we were doing a mission one day and, uh, came in on a hard landing on my hip, jumping out of something and came in real hard on my hip. And I kind of, you know, being an athlete, I'm like, oh, it's a stinger. And it bugged me for about a day. And I just I was like, ah, oh, it's just a stinger. It's just a stinger. I'll be fine. And, uh, uh, went to bed that night and I woke up and I couldn't stand up. Mm. My, uh, my nerve was so locked up. So I kind of forced myself out of bed. I had to go get food that day. And, uh, went and got the food. And while we were driving around in the truck, my IBA was shaking around and I just, I tweaked my hip again and it just was killing me, radiating pain, numb and tingness in my leg. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to dock. My hip's killing me. Went and saw the medics and the medics like, all right, lay down. I'm just going to kind of pull on your hip. And, uh, so I kind of laid back and he tugged on my hip and pulled my hip out of socket, completely pulled my hip out of socket. Um, I had ended up, I, I tore all the cartilage in my hip on my landing. Um, tore my gluteus medius and minimus uh and uh i had landed so hard i actually smashed my femur bone into my pelvis bone and flattened my femur bone so instead of being round it was kind of almost oblong now um but i remember you know i i blacked out he pulled on it my hip kind of popped out and i blacked out woke up with smelling salts under my nose and a humvee getting transported to a helicopter to be airlifted out of the field to uh uh the hospital and Spent all night in the hospital getting x-rays and MRIs and, uh, you know, probably about 9 a.m. the next morning. This was on May 8th when I got injured of 2018. Uh, the next morning, the doctor came in. He's like, hey, you, your hip's gone. He goes, you know, you're going to need surgery. 
you got no cartilage, you got two torn muscles and you got bone fragments floating around in your hip, hip joint. And I was like, okay, whatever. Well, we'll have a quick surgery and I'll be back. Like, you know, we're going on deployment soon. Um, I'm going to make the deployment and, uh, uh, you know, and, and things started to fall apart then. Uh, I wasn't needed anymore. I was the broken guy on crutches. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't needed for the rail ops, wasn't needed to move all those vehicles. I couldn't, I could sit in a chair and, and that was it. Mm. Uh, my hip was in pretty bad shape. Uh, came into October of 2018. Um, and, uh, I had, uh, my first hip surgery, um, went under, they cleaned up all the cartilage in there and, uh, the bone fragments because they can't really repair it. Um, but I went to T- twin cities orthopedics, had my first hip surgery, uh, 10 days before, uh, what was that? My 25th birthday had my first hip surgery. Um, and then rehab was hard. Um, while I was rehabbing, going to MRIs and x-rays and, uh, trying to, you know, we're coming up on my reenlistment period and kind of, uh, getting ready for that deployment. I had a cutoff date of December and, uh, the x-rays just weren't going in my favor. Uh, the cartilage wasn't taken. It was getting torn up again. I was going to need another surgery. The, the muscles weren't rehabbing like I needed to. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, December of 2018, um, it was the weekend of the, the aviation ball. My, uh, my commander pulled me aside and said, Hey Bennett, you know, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but we started your paperwork for, for medical discharge. Um, your hips just makes you non-deployable and you're going to be red flagged for everything. Um, it was, it was, you know, I was having sciatic issues, lower back issues, knee issues on crutches. I was trying to coach youth hockey at the time, but half the time I couldn't even get out on skates. Um, and I found out that my career was done. Um, I had planned on doing this for 20 years and here I am sitting there, I'm done. Mm. Um, and so it was the night of the military ball and this was my second rock bottom. Uh, I left to go get ready, put my blues on to go to the ball. And, uh, I bought two bottles of wine and like two, four locos. And I just started drinking at noon and I just started hammering the booze. And, uh, and I was just hammered out of my mind, drunk at, uh, the aviation ball. And, uh, I got upset, you know, everyone was, uh, the news, no one had really known yet that I was done. Um, that was my, you know, I didn't told anyone. And I remember I, I told, I was really close with, uh, my brigade command sergeant major and my chaplain at the time. And I told them first, I said, guys, I'm done. I'm like, I'm out of the military. I'm, I'm med I'm done. My hip's gone, you know? And I'm like, I gotta have another second surgery. And they want it to be more intensive. They're going to shave down the bone and stuff. And they're going to remove all the cartilage that's just shredded. And, uh, you know, they're like, well, if you need anything, you're good. And I said, yeah. And, and I, you know, I was doing shots and stuff. And we were out in Oakdale, Minnesota. And I was living in Anoka at the time. And I was hammered. I drove home, which, you know, looking back was a horrible, horrible decision. I'm lucky I didn't crash or do anything stupider. But um, I called someone on my way. And I said, hey, I'm done. I'm going to go kill myself tonight. And uh, I uh, I spent, you know, probably a good two-ish hours um, driving around aimlessly, um, trying to figure out a plan and stuff. And uh, my best friend, actually, um, my civilian best friend, actually broke into my apartment because they couldn't find me, popped the screen off my window. He knew I left my window unlocked because I'd forget my keys every once in a while when I was drinking and broke into my apartment trying to find me. And from inside my apartment, called the police. And um, I uh, I had a, a... the staff sergeant at the time, Sergeant Gleason, 
who uh, was working with Ramsey County deputy and uh, somehow word had gotten to him of what was going on. And he was on shift and he called me. He said, Hey, what, what are you doing? What the hell's going on? Like what's talking? I was out driving around just aimlessly on back roads and he kind of talked me down. So I went home and went to bed. But uh, the next morning I took a, a, a bottle of, paint, of uh, sleeping meds. I took an entire bottle of sleeping meds and uh, just tried to fall asleep and be done. Uh, you know, I, I, again, I was at a point where my career was over. I felt just like a bum. Uh, and uh, luckily, I, I called myself in. Um, they didn't put me on a 72-hour hold or anything, which was nice. I didn't want to get locked up. I got my medication. and That's kind of when I really, you know, really hit my rock bottom because the next couple of months were just brutal for me. A lot of drinking. Um, and then April came, and that was my official discharge date, April of, of uh, you know, 2019. Yeah, uh, I got my paperwork, my DD-214, and I was officially done with the reclass of I can't, I can't come back in because of medical. So that, you know, that was hard, and I, you know, I, I kind of was still at my rock bottom at this point, but my military career was done, and uh, it sucked, you know, mm-hmm. going from I'm a rock star to, to kind of a nobody, a nothing, and then uh, I had to watch all my, all my, my friends deployed to Iraq, um, which they went on a, a tough deployment. Uh, a lot of mortars, we, you know, um, where they were at, uh, they went kind of towards the start of COVID. Uh, so they got extended uh, like four to six months, got stuck in country for a while. Um, they were actually on the air base that uh, got hit with that missile strike uh, from Syria. Mm. Um, they were on that base. So, you know, talking to a lot of those guys, having to see that on the news, knowing that that was my, my unit, my guys that were there um, was hard. Um, so I quit my job. I, I was working at the Blue Ox for the time. I, I told Wit, I'm like, I need to be done. Like, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm just, I'm done. And, uh, really kind of hit my rock bottom again. And you didn't have a suicide attempt, but just drinking a ton. Um, started getting a little legal trouble with my drinking stuff like that. Nothing major, just, you know, misdemeanors, but still not good. Um, but yeah, so that, that was kind of my military career and, and I didn't end on a good note. Unfortunately, um, not where I wanted to end up, but, uh, I look at it as a blessing today, hmm. um, which we'll talk more about on, you know, when we go into my after military career and stuff like that. But, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful from what I learned, uh, what I did, who I helped, uh, who I saved, you know, working with border patrol, I had some saved. Um, I'm grateful for it all. Um, you know, even though it wasn't the way I wanted to end with a hip injury, um, I'm grateful for it. So yeah, that's Very kind of the cool. story. Well, you did mention one thing earlier, and it was your sense of purpose. And uh, our next segment, I want to talk about reintegrating into civilian life after the military. And, um, you know, I I got to assume that had to be extremely difficult for you. And, and again, many of the veterans that, that I get to interview talk about um, that sense of purpose, right? Coming out of the military um, and, and being able to try and find a job or something that even remotely matches your sense of purpose that you had in the military and, and trying to find that. And, uh, again, many of the veterans that I've spoke to turn to drugs and alcohol and a way of coping. So, I mean, you're, you're no different than anybody else. And I I certainly don't cast any judgment on you. And, um, I I just, uh, I I hope that we're going to learn that you're going to be able to turn yourself around here, but, um, yeah, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to talk about uh, your re- reintegration into civilian life and uh, and go from there. Does that sound good? Yeah, perfect. All right. Thanks for sharing your story, Travis. We'll be right back.
Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Wiley X Sunglasses. Wiley X is a family-owned company founded by U.S. military veteran Miles Freeman Sr. with a focused determination to create the world's best protective gear for those that protect our country. Over 35 years ago, Wiley X was born on the battlefield. Today, Wiley X continues to pioneer protective eyewear and sunglasses, not only for our military, but for consumers as well. Visit www.wileyx.com and support the companies that support our veterans. This week's Veterans Resource Nonprofit of the Week is 22-0. We believe there's a better way to heal trauma and unhelpful negative emotions, not teach you to cope with them. The Trauma Resiliency Protocol, TRP, is for post-traumatic stress and acute stress. The Emotions Management Process, EMP, is for extreme negative triggers involving unhelpful emotions like sadness, anger, or shame, often accompanying traumatic or significant emotional events. During these therapies, you're not required to discuss the trauma. Everything centers around the triggered emotions. They become malleable when active. We change the state of the emotions, not the memory. There are no costs or fees associated with veteran coaching. Best of all, you can do the work remotely in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.220.org for more information. And we're talking to Travis Bennett. Travis, thank you again for uh, taking the time to uh, share your story with us. Um, it's been a, you know what, I really want to point one thing out here, and that is that, um, you know, doing this show for, for a while now and, and doing the TV show for several years, um, people think, uh, oh, PTS, post-traumatic stress, is only when you've gone to combat and you've been out in the battlefield and you bring that home. Um, well, that's absolutely true. Um, I'm not going to certainly discredit any of that, but um, post-traumatic stress is from everything from car accidents to things like you endured with uh, Border Patrol stuff. You know what I mean? You never left the confines of this country, but yet you you witnessed and and saw things that, again, cause post-traumatic stress. Whether you want them to or not, you don't have the ability to control that. Uh, that comes from from our minds and our brains. They're, they're very powerful things, and uh, it's very difficult. So, um, again, the, the things that you did and the things that you saw, you may not have, uh, you know, been in country out, out, outside of the, the in Iraq, Afghanistan, anything like that. But just being here in the United States, there's there's many things that you can see and do that uh, can cause PTS. And so uh, we just want to make sure that we touch upon that because, uh, again, most people think, oh, post-traumatic stress, you must have uh, been in combat. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean combat. Tra- trauma rears its ugly head in many different ways and, and uh, many different forms. And, and it, again, in civilian life, we, we, we all have trauma. We all have some form of post-traumatic stress from the things that we've experienced. So again, thank you for sharing your story with us. And thank, thank you for being so honest. It can't be easy, you know, sharing yeah. those types of things. But uh, again, we're hoping that by doing this show, uh, the TV show and the podcast, that we can resonate with with just one more veteran or just one more veteran's family member and say, hey, listen, it's okay to talk about. 
Um, you're not a coward. You're not weak. Uh, it's absolutely okay to talk about. And more importantly, there are there's help out there, right? I mean, there's there's organizations like Operation Healing Heroes, Take a Bit Fishing, you name it. There's tons of them out there that that want to help our veterans. We understand, depending upon what part of the country you live in, um, you may have one of the best VAs in the entire country, and you absolutely love going to it. Uh, and you may have a horrible VA system where you live, and they may do absolutely nothing for you except give you more and more medications, and and you know it's it's terrible. We've we've seen all different walks of life coming out of the VA, and it's it's sad because we we have to try and help each one of them. But again, that being said, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, and then you know I want to talk real quickly about uh, your reintegration into civilian life because I assume that had to be pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah, it was. And I'm really glad you touched on, you know, not everyone um, that went to combat, we can still come back with, you know, the PTSD. Because um, I actually, I really struggled with that until about this year. Um, you know, so, you know, it's 2019, I'm, I'm out of the military now, um, just boozing, just every day drinking, boozing. No, you know, I, I'm working dead end jobs, I'm working the front desk at a gym. I, I uh, you know, uh, I think I worked for a cable installing company for about two months, you know, climbing ladders and installing cable. I, uh, you know, quit that. Uh, I, uh, went and worked for a leasing company for a while. Uh, I did that for about six months and, and, uh, that one actually ended because of COVID unfortunately. Um, but just boozing every day, drinking, 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 um, uh, you know, not really trying to do much other than, than drink. I was sleeping in my buddy's basement. Uh, he had a bedroom down there. I was supposed to be paying him rent, and I never paid him rent. Uh, luckily, you know, he was a good friend and understood I was going through some stuff. And um, at one point, I was sleeping in my car, um, you know, because uh, I, I overstayed my welcome a little bit. Um, he was kind of remodeling and, and stuff like that. And he's like, hey, man, like, you know, you were supposed to be out by August. Got to do this remodel. And, and I was like, all right, yeah, I got a place to go. I'm good. And I was just, like sleeping in my car because um, boozing was just so important to me. It was just drinking. That's all I want to do. I Sleeping my guy slept in my car for about a week. Um, and then I uh, started just staying in hotel rooms until I found a place to kind of live. I had enough money, but um, April or uh, September of 2019, I decided to quit drinking. Um, I was like, I'm done. I'm getting sober. I uh, spent a hundred days just kind of struggling, drinking a lot of pop and, you know, chewing a bunch. Uh, but I quit drinking. Um, and uh, I went, about two years sober, I uh, relapsed for the first time kind of right after my dad died and um, passed away and then went another like six months sober uh, and stuff like that, you know, had some real long stretches of sobriety. And uh, uh, today is actually, uh, I'm four months sober again today, um, done with the drinking. Um, you know, I, I go to regular meetings and stuff, but, you know, I just job bounced for a while. Um, I didn't, I didn't, you know, no one understood. Like, they're like, oh, just go work this job. I'm like, no, I don't want to work this job. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to work. I'm sick today. I'm not feeling good. I'm hungover. I don't want to go. Um, and a lot of that was my mental health. A lot of that was, uh, you know, uh, what I came to find out was PTS, uh, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so it was just a struggle to, to find consistency and find that structure and find that meaning again. Um, but, uh, you know, I got sober. Um, and I'd say out of the last four years, I've maybe drank a total of five months. Um, out of the last four years, that's about it. If I put all my time together, I can think of maybe three times, uh, when I was hammered. Otherwise it's just like a beer or two here and there, which, you know, 
I'm really proud of, of, of four years of really curbing that drinking, you know, and then the times I got drunk, I was at, you know, one was at a concert and one was at like the winter classic. So there were special events where I was with friends and stuff. Um, wasn't like, Oh, it's just a Tuesday night. Let's go get hammered. Yeah. Um, but really took, took a control of my, you know, my substance abuse. I was using marijuana kind of heavily too. Um, so really took a control on my substance abuse and my alcoholism. And, and, you know, like I said today, I'm, I'm hitting my form on today and I chair a meeting, a, a veteran support meeting and, and stuff like that. I really help out with it. And it's great. Uh, but I think the biggest issue I had with kind of getting back into normal life was my mental health. They were just, yeah, you got depression and anxiety. And I was like, cool, works for me. It's a title. We'll claim it at the VA. I'll check in with the therapist once in a while and, and we're good to go. And I didn't just have depression and anxiety. Um, so, you know, I hopped around therapists because I didn't really like any of the therapists. And I, I met the therapist I'm with now, who's phenomenal. I've been working with him since early uh, 2022. Just great. Uh, we connected real well. He's a, a big sports fan and, and he likes Marvel and, and Star Wars kind of like I do. So we connected real well and, and he kind of pushed my limits. He, and one of the big questions he'd ask, which is something you said, is finding your identity. What's your purpose? You know, you're coming to these meetings, but what's your purpose? What, why are we coming to these meetings? Are you coming to these meetings to check off a box? Or are you trying to find your purpose again? And he pushed me to get a full diagnosis uh, exam done with a, with a psychiatrist there. And um, I was diagnosed with uh, adjustment disorder, uh, PTSD uh, stemming from my accident where I hurt my hip and then some of the stuff I did with Border Patrol, and then survivor's guilt. Mm. Um, my survivor's guilt was really really the thing that was stopping me the most though uh because my survivor's guilt was telling me that i didn't have ptsd my survivor's guilt was saying no you didn't go to deployment with your friends you got hurt at ntc you you're a loser like no 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 and and so i i felt guilty and so i couldn't cure myself because i was blaming myself mm. um so i kind of worked through some of that of saying hey you know it's not your fault you got hurt you, it wasn't your fault you got it discharged it wasn't your fault you know you didn't go to that deployment with those guys and look what you did do um, and then I really, you know, I went on to do some work with, uh, 22 zero, um, which we can talk about more. Uh, is that next day we're talking about that a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, but that's okay. I mean, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I did some work with them. Uh, we'll kind of go into heavier though next segment and really talk about them because that was amazing. We can talk about them in the ox and, and that stuff in the next segment, but, um, it was just incredible. Um, I met with Justin. I obviously I got connected with. 22-0 um, with you up at the Operation Healing Heroes game, uh, which I had the honor of kind of emceeing for the night, which, you know, side note real quick, was an amazing opportunity to run around with a microphone around a bunch of my childhood heroes that are hockey players and stuff. And it was cool, you know, having having to do that. And I got to meet Dan Jarvis and listen to his story and, and uh, uh, just Greg Stubbe uh, about loving people. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you know, it was late November and, uh, I got to kind of see what 22 zero was about and stuff. And, and, uh, I think it was, it had been like, it was early in 2023, like January, February. I just reached out to you one day and I was like, Jay, I'm stuck. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm like, I can't get out of bed. I don't want to go to the gym. I'm putting this happy face on and I'm real stuck. I, I got PTSD, man. And I'm, I'm just trapped. And you immediately, you know, hooked me up with Dan and, got on a text and thread and, and Justin called me later that day and, and we did a session and uh, it was, it was, I slept like a baby that night. I think I slept 10 hours. I was so exhausted. 
Um, but that next day I felt so good. Mm-hmm. I felt like a light which had flipped and, you know, uh, obviously I'm not cured yet. You know, I still got, I got some demons to battle through still. Um, but I felt for the first time in my life, I felt clear in my mind mm-hmm. and I felt like I could make good decisions. And, uh, um, you know, a couple months after that, I kind of, I kind of decided to, to better my life. Um, started getting back into the gym, eating healthy, really getting back into hockey. I play with uh, the Minnesota Warriors now, which is a nonprofit organization here in the Twin Cities. That's yeah. all disabled veterans playing. Um, I'm helping out on the board. Um, I play with them, and I played with, with Dallas, which I kind of touched on earlier with my best friend, JJ. So kind of how I got into playing warrior hockey is uh, I was playing with a team called Med City. Uh, had a tournament in Prior Lake, which is the Armed Forces tournament. Everyone on the team has to be, you know, military, except you get three civilians. Those are your ringers. That's how you win the game. You find the three best civilians to be on your <laughs> team. And uh, I'm playing this Med City team, and we go out to play Dallas, and Dallas is like, hey, you know, we're up here from Texas. We're getting blown out every game. And, and at this point, we were undefeated. We already knew we were in the championship game. Uh, kind of a thing, and they're like, look, we've been blown out every game. Uh, just take it easy on us. You guys aren't going to lose. Take it easy on us. I think they had lost their game earlier in the day, like 9-0. to zero. Hmm. And we're like, yeah, cool. And so normally I'm a defenseman, but I got to play wing, and uh, I go up to the face-off dots, you know, kind of line up his wing, and here's this guy with the name Jimerson on the back of the jersey, and lo and behold, it's my AIT, my AIT, my second training uh, roommate, JJ. No way. Um, hadn't talked to him in probably four years since kind of, you know, drifting apart, but coming up from Dallas, Texas, here's, here's JJ and I'm on the ice with him. And so after the game, like we reconnected and we hugged and he actually spent a week at my house afterwards. And, um, so I kind of got pulled into playing with the Dallas Warriors. Then, um, I traveled with them to, to St. Louis earlier this year to play with them at nationals where we took second lost in a shootout, but it was a great experience playing five games in four days exhausting but i have family in st louis and i got to watch that and that was cool and i got to play uh, you know with jj also at hendy last year mm-hmm. um we took second lost in a shootout again i guess i have bad luck losing in shootouts because <laughs> i lost another shootout at armed forces this year in 2023 in a wow. in a, a championship game but uh i got to play with them and i kind of got connected with the warriors and then uh playing it Armed Forces 2023 this year. Uh, I got connected with some of the Minnesota guys, and they're like, hey, come out and play with us. And that really got me to that next step of kind of reintegrating into my civilian life, I'd say. Um, I'm still struggling with it, but I think I'm at a point now um, where I'm being successful. Um, Playing with the Warriors, I practice weekly. Um, We had practice last night up in Badness Heights, and afterwards we went to the restaurant and had food and, you know, just kind of talked and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, we, we just took second place at Handy Fest with that team. Uh, I actually lost to my Texas team in the championship that I just played with in really? April. And Nashville. <laughs> yeah, so I lost the championship with Texas to stay second place to, to a Duluth team. Switched over to the Minnesota side, played against my Texas team, lost in the in regulation of the championship game to take second again. So I've got three second place finishes this year. But, wow. um, but uh you know, kind of when I started playing with them, I realized, you know, I really, I really need to start getting my purpose back. I started listening to my therapist, did that 22-0. I'm currently enrolled in college. I'm going to Hennepin Tech. Um, I start in August. I'm going for fire science. So kind of getting back to that purpose of that, that family, you know, getting into firefighting again. Um, 
and stuff like that. Uh, I, I want to be an arson investigator or a fire marshal um, cool. eventually down the road to kind of save my body. My body is a little beat up now, obviously. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to really, really in, re get back into my life. I've, I've gotten to the gym a ton. Um, I'm down, I think 42 pounds as of yesterday. Good for you. Um, really slimmed down. I'm almost back down to my military weight, which just feels good. I'm eating healthy, cut out the pop, um, the sugar, um, kind of getting back to how my mindset was when I was in the military and, and, and it feels good. And, and then I stay in busy working with the blue ox, like you said, um, uh, fan engagement and, and really trying to make that a place where, where veterans can come and get resources to kind of, kind of get to where they need to be. Um, you know, I, and that's kind of why I wanted to tell my story today about the suicide attempts and the, the drinking and stuff, because, you know, you never know what, what veterans out there and just like, Oh man, if he can do it, I can do it yep. kind of a thing. And that's why I like being open about it. But you know, I'm still struggling with my reintegration, but you know, I have a path now. I'm a college student, which feels good. We're not going to fail out of college this time. I'm going to be a straight A student. <laughs> at school. Good for you. Um, but you know, I've already got some job interviews lined up, which is a real cool opportunity using some of my veteran resources. I have one, uh, lined up with a fire department and then I have another one lined up with like the state of Minnesota in August. And you know, it's just a really cool opportunity. And I'm really, you know, I'm really grateful for doing 220 and, and, uh, you know, actually dealing with my problem instead of hiding it and uh so yeah that's kind of where i'm at college student at age 30 it well, feels good hey there's feels nothing myself. wrong with that man there's no there's no there's no uh manual that says you have to be this this and this society might try and dictate that but um we sure as hell don't and and like you said there's there's people who graduate college in their 60s and 70s i mean it's amazing but um Hey, exactly. listen. You know, it's it, you. You lived a, a difficult life. I mean, and, and and I'm not trying to sit there and and you know sugarcoat anything. The reality is, is that uh, you know, hey, you 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 basically you're owning what you did, how you did it, and and that's all you can do, right? I mean, if you were always the victim, then that's a whole different story. But the reality is, is that you own the fact that hey, when I was in high school, I, I didn't do very well. I didn't reach my fullest potential. I I had no ambition, no drive. My parents told me I had to do something, so I went into the military. Um, again, you went into the military and tried to make a career out of it. I mean, you you like you said, you found a sense of purpose several times, and um, it's hard, it, man. It's hard. I, I, you're 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 definitely not the first person that I've ever spoke to who said, "Listen, I I, I thought I was going to spend 20 years in the military and you know and, and, and retire out of it, and, and it never happened that way." And so, yeah, um, it, it's difficult. And and like you said, to get back out into the civilian world at that point, um, using alcohol as a coping me mechanism, whether it's alcohol or drugs or any of it, you name it. Um, it it's like you said, you were drinking because that was the only thing that temporarily made you feel better right i mean it allowed you to exactly. I, I won't even call it sleep it's passing out and until you wake up the next day and you have to do it all over again because the only way you know how you're going to get any type of of uh comfort and that's it's it's a false sense of comfort obviously you and i both know that but um when hmm. you're in the in the thick of it it's the only option right i mean there are no other options and so it's not until you literally, like you said, hit rock bottom or whatever it might be until you, you come around and you say, I'm sick of this. I, I can't do it anymore. And and you understand that at that crossroads, it's it's one of two things. You either take your own life or you get the help that you need and deserve. And, and I'm glad that you, you chose the path of getting the help that you deserve because it's, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm 
even proud to say that I'm, I've played a small part in it and helping you get to 22-0 and, and they do amazing work. And, and instead of taking a break and coming back and talking about life after, you know, what you're doing now, let's just go right into it. Because to me, it's important uh, that people understand that there are other organizations out there. There's there's service dogs who who can help veterans. There's equine therapy that help veterans. There's a, a stellic ganglion block shot, which if you've never heard of that, um, if on a scale of one to 10, if you're at a 10 right now and you don't know where to turn to the SGB shot will give you instant relief. It'll bring you down to a one or a two and allow you to think clearly and make rash decisions so that you can find the help that you need. You know what I mean? There's meditation. There's so many different yeah. things, but again, 22, zero, absolutely amazing. TRP therapy, trauma resistance protocol, basically, uh, what it does is it, it, uh, it, it reprograms the brain, right? So our brains are hard drives, and uh, when when trauma happens, and whether it's on the battlefield or if it's in a car accident, it writes things to the amygdala, which is sight, smell, taste, sounds, those types of things. And uh, and then fast forward, you know, whatever, a month down the road or two years down the road, and uh, you, you smell something, you see something, you taste something. And it brings you right back to that moment. That's what post-traumatic stress is. It's it's stored in the short-term memory in the amygdala, and uh, every single time, and it could be, and it'll last there forever, right? So unless you clear that, unless you remove that from the amygdala, and you actually file it into the long-term file storage in your brain, and our brains are very powerful things that we very we use a very small part of, but um, twenty-two-zero has been able to prove that they will reprogram the hard drive if it was programmed it can be reprogrammed and that's exactly what they do they basically take that that short-term memory file and they refile it into long-term memory so that when you know the trauma happened the way that it did you can't change it but when you think about that trauma you can actually have zero emotions tied to it so they detach the emotion from the trauma essentially curing you of your post-traumatic stress. I'm not saying it's a 100% cure because there's still things that that can trigger you and it's not a, a, an end-all be-all by any means. However, it absolutely will make tomorrow better than today and, and you're living proof. Yeah, no, 100%, you know, and, and, you know, kind of before we get more into that, you know, I guess I got two things real quick is, you know, first, you know, just saying thank you again, um, you know, really being introduced, introduced to you with the, with, you know, the uh the blue ox and everything you did with the blue ox you know i know um you know we do a ton you know uh we we give out fish and poles which you donate to the ox to veterans that come we give free tickets to the veterans that come we honor the veterans before the games and so mm-hmm. you know really thanking you for introducing me to that 220 um and just for what you do for our veterans at the games and you know just having me on your show today your podcast and and uh let me tell my story that hopefully this can touch someone because that's going to roll into the second thing is and if you're struggling and you're listening to this podcast right now, just reach out, you know, reach out to an organization like 220. You know, I fought it for so long. I wouldn't let myself say that I had PTSD. I wouldn't let myself say that I was a victim or, you know, a victim. I just said, no, I'm just dramatic. I'm just, I just have depression. I'm just, you know, an alcoholic. I made up excuses. And if you're struggling, there's nothing to be afraid of to talk about it. Um, you know, like, yeah, it was a hard phone call to call you. And I think I was almost, in t- I think I was crying when I called you, yeah. honestly. I think I was crying when I called you. Um, I'm going to choke up a little bit now, but I was just, I was like, man, I'm like, it's this, or I'm going to go right back down into that drinking hole. Cause I was starting to drink a little bit again and just do it, reach out. Um, the, the organization 22 zero is nothing but incredible. I, you know, I really connected with Justin and, um, uh, you know, it, 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 I mean, it was like a light switch. Mm-hmm. It really, 
I felt like so much weight was lifted off my chest after I did one session with him. I mean, the session was almost two hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, we were on a, a video chat, but man, it was just reach out. That's all I can say is, you know, it's, it's hard to reach out. It's hard. You know, I wanted to play this tough guy. I got a kid, I got a son, I got to be tough. You know, I'm, you know, the fan engagement for the blue ox. I always got to be happy. You know, I run around getting the fans pumped up. That's my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't be sad, depressed, vulnerable guy. Um, but I did, and it's the best decision I did, man. Twenty-two-zero. Uh, you know, you kind of went in depth about it a little bit, and 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 uh, you know, they really, really kind of those sights, smells, sounds. They're not attached to that that memory anymore. I mean, the memory's still there. Clearly, it's it's way back in the back of my brain, and we we talked about it for a good portion today. But I don't get worked up about it. You know, I don't. I was sure. able to this year. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not triggered about it. Um, actually this year, um, on May 8th of this year, my five year anniversary of my injury, um, I actually did a two mile run. Um, you know, anyone who was in the army knows that that was our PT test. We had the two mile run. I finished in 1407, which for a for a 30 year old man who was out of (laughs) out of shape and, and overweight, I was flying. That's, that's a good two mile time. And that's how I celebrated this year where, Normally May May eighth is a I hate today. It's a stupid day. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of self pity a little, um, and it just you know it feels good. I feel like I have control again. I feel like I'm in the driver's seat of my life. And, and, you know, it's just just reach out, just do it. Don't don't say you're gonna do it. You gotta you gotta you know you gotta walk the walk and talk the talk. You know, going back to what my drill sergeant told me: there's the man you are, the man who everyone else sees, and the man that you want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, do you want to be? I didn't like who I was seeing in the mirror. How can I change that? How can I change who I'm seeing in the mirror? Well, I got to fix my mental health. Uh, that was, that was it. That was stopping me. You know, if I had a broken leg, no one would judge me for putting a cast on my leg. Right. Why am I going to worry about people judging me? Because I need therapy, you know, and yep. I go to my therapist regularly and it's, it's just been, it's incredible. You know, I'll probably reach out in a couple more months here and do another tune up session. Yep. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've felt myself slipping a couple times where I'm just like, ah, I'm struggling today. And, but I'm, I got a good support system with my family and my friends and, and, and you and the blue ox, um, and Freddie, the four oxen, you know, I got a great support group. Uh, a lot of people I could reach out to anytime. And I've reached out to you a couple times since then too, where I just needed to chat for a minute or two. Yeah. Um, Hey man. And I just want to say first and foremost, you're absolutely welcome. I mean, you're, you're absolutely deserving yeah. of it. And, um, and, and I'm just so happy that, you got to a place in, in your own life where you basically said, Hey, I can't do this alone. I need some help. And there's nothing wrong with that. You are not weak. <laughs> uh, you know, no. we all need it. Every single one of us, there's not a person on the face of this earth that's so strong that they can do it on their own. It's just not, a, it's, but, but to your point, if anyone's listening to this, make sure that you reach out and ask for the help. Um, you know, Operation Healing Heroes, uh, take about fishing. We'll, we will absolutely make sure that we help you. And we pay 100% for the treatment of PTS and any of our veterans or their family members. And so uh, don't let it be a money issue thing. Don't let it be a work issue thing. There's nothing that can get in the way or stand in, in, in the way of your happiness. That's first and foremost, you have to be happy so that you can then go out and do the work or go to school or do the things that you need to do. So um, again, I just can't say thank you enough for, for reaching out to us. And, 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 and yeah. I'm so glad we were able to at least make tomorrow better than today. I keep saying it all the time. If we could just make tomorrow better than today for any of our veterans. And then to your point, um, you know, 
tune-up sessions. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, if it worked that well for you, you know, months ago, who's to say that, you know what, now you've been able to think clearly, maybe you've done some meditation or something like that. And and now it's time for a tune-up session. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with those things. You can tweak it. Uh, 22.0's got both TRP, which is the trauma resistance protocol. Basically, you want, uh, if there was trauma in your life, you had a, a traumatic incident with that, that fall and with your hip. Um, and then there's the EMP, which is basically the emotion side of things, right? Where your survivor's guilt, um, the sadness, the depression, the anxiety, all of those things, they will run EMP on you also. Um, it's amazing. It's truly amazing. So all I can say is, uh, I'm proud of, of where you are today. I'm proud to call you a friend. Um, I'm glad that you decided to do this podcast with me. I know you and I have spoke about things for, for months, if not years now. And, um, and yeah. yeah, all I can say is, is again, thank you for your service and, uh, thanks for, for reaching out and, and wanting to tell your story. Cause it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Thanks for really giving me that opportunity for to tell my story um, because, you know, I want to use it now as, as a story to, to change someone else's life. You know, if I can, if I can touch someone else, if I can just do a little thing to, to help another veteran where we're not, you know, you and I both know that veteran suicide's high. And if I can just do one little thing that if someone listening today is just like, Oh man, I've been thinking about it. My story is a lot like his. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to fight the bullet and do it. If, if I can just do one person and save one person, you know, it's one less funeral we got to have for veterans, you know, and, that. and, and that saved someone and that person saved someone and, and we got to look out for each other and we've really got to have each other. You know, like you said, some VAs are great. You know, I'm lucky. I found an amazing therapist in my VA, but I've, I know others that have poorer stories about the VA and, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, just like, you know, whether you're in country or just in training or, or whatever, you got to have your battle buddies back. You gotta, you know, and, and that's what I want. To be, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, I, I do it a lot with the warriors right now, just trying to get guys out on the ice and stuff. And with my, with my group or my support group and stuff, but you know, I'm just appreciative that I got to meet you. Well, you know, when I met you, it was a really a good time for me. To meet you. So, and, and now we got, now we got another blue ox season. Uh, do we want to talk real quick uh, before we end the show about uh, your Operation Healing Heroes game real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk, talk about, about fighting for freedom uh, from post-traumatic stress. It's uh it was a cool event. It was the first time we'd ever done something like that uh, with the Minnesota Blue Ox. So yeah. we, we took, what, the Minnesota Blue Ox, which is our youth hockey team, along with some veteran uh, hockey players from the Minnesota Warrior hockey team and uh, and yep. married that up with some NHL veterans uh, and um, from Minnesota and from all over. We had, you know, some really cool big names. Neil Broughton came by and, and spoke, and we had, uh, man, we had a lot of them, didn't we? I mean, we had... Oh, man, we had... West Walls, yeah, Neil Broughton, that was cool. My my son, his name is Brooks, so obviously I named him after Herb Brooks. So, uh, and Brooks and Dunn, but yeah. uh, Herb Brooks is a big influence on that. So getting to meet Neil Broughton was cool, but we had uh, Ryan Carter out there, Nate Prosser, Andy Sutton, mm-hmm. uh, McCrick Alpine. Uh, I think I said Walls already. It was just, it was such was a cool. cool event. You know, it was outside, it was cold, oh, yeah. um, but you know, it was, it was, it was cool, and I got the opportunity, like I said earlier, to MC that event and and. Uh, John DeCosmaker, uh, singer of the national anthem for the wild came out and sang the national anthem. I think, you know, one of the cool things is he kind of screwed up. He got nervous and he kind of jumbled a few of the words. And I don't know if you caught this when we were standing on the ice next to him. Uh, there's a cool picture of us standing kind of next to other with John. Uh, I remember I grabbed the mic back from him kind of reset. And I said, Hey everyone, we're here to honor veterans. Like everyone sing along. And I remember kind of looking around in the glass and every fan was, was mouthing the words yeah, and, and so singing cool. along. 
I remember looking back over my shoulder and there's breath coming out of Ryan Carter's mouth and he's singing the national anthem. Yeah. And, uh, that, that was a really cool experience. And then I got to talk to some of those pros about what it was like for them to be out with the veterans. You know, I interviewed, uh, Carter and Nate Grosser about what it meant for them to come out. And, you know, they're both Minnesota boys. Um, and so really talked about what it was like for them to be out here honoring the vets. And, and then I got to talk to the vets about what it was like being out there. And that was really cool to kind of learn a little about them and what they do. And, uh, you know, that's kind of, I like to use my platform now with the Ox and then, and you do too, to really reach out to our vets. And yep. we're going to have the second annual one this year. I think it's in November. Sunday, uh, December, Sunday, I, December 3rd is going to be the, uh, the event. And, and we're going to move that game inside this year, uh, only because we had what, I think it was 30 below zero with 20 mile an hour wins at game time. Uh, and it was it was tough, but that we were, being said, it was, uh, it was successful. We all had fun, but yeah. we're, uh, we're going to do the skate with the greats again. And that's going to be on the outdoor rink. Uh, and it's going to be on a Sunday afternoon this year, uh, December 3rd at Coon Rapids ice center in, in Coon Rapids, Minnesota. But yeah, we're going to move the game inside about 5 PM, uh, be done by seven, seven thirty, so that families with young kids can get home in enough time. The kids can get to school the next day, but, um, we're really looking forward to it. I've, uh, I've contacted the Minnesota Wild uh, to see if they would support us again, and and we're gonna try and get some big names. Uh, spoke to Jim Craig and his crew uh, again. Gonna try and get Neil Broughton and uh, some of the boys from um, from uh, Slapshot. So maybe one of the Carlson brothers, the Hansons. So it should be a lot of fun. We're gonna work on it uh, and get get some some fun times going. But again, it's all it's all in honor of our U.S. military veterans and raising awareness for post post traumatic stress and. Um, 100% of those proceeds that we that we raised during that event uh, goes to pay for the treatment of post-traumatic stress for our veterans. So it's a, it's extremely important. And then the last thing I want to mention about that too, and, and this is equally as important, is it's educating our youth about the veterans. I mean, how cool was it that our Minnesota Blue Ox team, uh, we had kids from Russia, we have kids from Sweden, we have kids from all over the United States, and they got to share a bench with not only our U.S. military veterans, but also some of our ex-NHL veterans. And just how cool is it for them to, to learn about veterans and the sacrifices that not only the veterans, but their families have made through the game of hockey? I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, I know. That was, that was awesome. You know, and, and then like you said, at the end of the day, it's honoring our vets, you know, after the game this, this last year, we got to honor veterans from, you know, World War II, uh, Vietnam, uh, Desert Storm, and then from Iraq, Afghanistan. And, you know, we got to raise some money to really help vets and, you know, definitely come out. Is that December 3rd, you said, um, come out, check it out if you're in the metro area. Um, it, it's just a cool experience, period. You know, like the, the boys, the, the Blue Ox got to be on the bench with some of the pros and some of the veterans who they have a connection with and stuff like that and it's a cool experience and it's for a great cause you know you you, your family you and your family put in a ton of work i think you had family come up from illinois for the week to even help out into your family your extended family was amazing helping out i got to meet a lot of them and the work they put in for it too just says a lot about your character and what you do for us veterans so thank you you know we appreciate that being a veteran um you know i don't speak for all of us but i think i speak for a fair number of us that we really appreciate the hard work you do for it thank you i'm excited for i'm excited i'm excited to be part of year two um i'm glad we're moving inside i was i couldn't use the my my choppers with the microphone so my hands were cold (laughs) a little bit but I'm yeah. excited to be inside this year, and, and I think it'll be cool to have the outdoor skate with the greats and then move it inside for the game because 
we know we can get crick rocking at Blue Ox games, so that's my expertise. So we'll make it nice and loud and fun and get some music going, and uh, I'm excited for it. So. Yeah, me too, me too. And let's talk just real quickly about how uh, this starts at the top, and that the top of the Minnesota Blue Ox is Jay Witta, um, owner and GM, and, uh, you know, oh. on a daily basis and i can attest to this because my son plays for the team uh he communicates with these kids it's not just during the season it's not you know uh, he is a 365 day a year coach to these kids um and about life lessons it's not about hockey it's not about the x's and o's it's about being a better person um and he absolutely is by far, in my eyes, one of the best junior hockey coaches that this country's ever saw. I mean, and I mean that. I mean that wholeheartedly. He is an amazing individual from start to finish, and um, and he he communicates with our boys every single day. I mean, literally, I'm on the the parent chat through WhatsApp, and I get I get notifications all the time. But he's talking to those kids, and he's making them better people. And uh, again, it starts at the top and um, something that's unique about the, the Minnesota Blue Ox. Um, and let's just talk about this quickly because it, it ties perfectly into the military is what's the first thing that our kids have um, as a group or as a team in September when they all come together within the what first week or third day, fifth day, whatever it is, they have a boot camp. They get shipped out yep, to Isanti, right? Isanti, Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. They go up to Isanti and they go up to Fort Oxen, uh, which the a group of four gentlemen who are affiliated with the Ox and, uh, and, uh, you know, veterans, they, they put them through a boot camp. you know, they teach, they kind of teach them to work together. They push their limits, stuff like that, make them become a team. Um, you know, and, and it's a really cool experience for them all. Yeah. Uh, it's hard work. You know, I, I've never, I'm, I'm, I've never gotten to it. Um, they probably just make me stand there and be the pretty boy. Um, <laughs> I'm not scary. I'm only five, seven. So I don't think I'm very scary, but, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of the footage of it and stuff, and they work those boys hard. Oh, yeah. They, it's, they are it's not 24 happy. hours of hell from what my son says. And again, you know, if you've never experienced anything similar to a boot camp, these, uh, again, the four oxen, oxmen, they, they literally, it's about breaking the kids down and building them back up again within a 24 hour period. They're, they're camping in the middle of a field. There's no running water, no electricity, no nothing. Um, you know, go set up your tent. They set up their tents and they say, Nope, that's not where we wanted them. We wanted them set up over there and make them, take them down, put them back. But it's just, it's, yeah. and these are kids that have coming across the whole country coming together, never met each other before going to play, you know, a, a sport that they love together for the next season or for the full, you know, for next five months, six months. And, and, they make it so that within 24 hours, these kids know each other better than their, some of their friends do, and, and they're dependent upon each other. They respect each other. Yeah. Um, it is, it's pure hell from what I understand and talking to my son. I mean, fire duty, making sure your fire doesn't go out, having to watch the fire for, for 24 hours, and, and certain rules that they instill, and no sleep. And again, they break you down, and they build you back up. And, and I absolutely think it's the most wonderful thing ever. No other hockey team does anything of the sort. And uh, again, it, it comes from Coach Witta and, and, uh, yeah. and the love that he has for the sport of hockey and for our kids. And that's... That's all I'll say about that. He's he's an amazing well, individual, and we're so lucky to get to play for him. Oh, we'd be here another forty-five minutes. We talked about Widow. Widow's been a big support for me too. But you know, and then the other thing, you know, besides getting them ready for the hockey season, that that boot camp and the four auctions, they teach him a lot of life lessons, and, and so does Widow. Mm -hmm. You know, he spends you know, you know, yeah, the goal is to move to the next level at hockey, but 
widow and the four oxen spend so much time teaching these, these young men, um, you know, where they're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, they really mold them and, and give them life value and, and, and stuff like that. And that's another big thing that really come out of the blue oxes. These guys aren't just playing hockey, maybe going to play college hockey. And then off in the world, they, they really, really, you know, widow doesn't believe in trading anyone. No. And it, it shows he, once he gets a player on his team, he's committed to that player. And it shows with how much he teaches them and how much I'm in. I've been around since the second year of the ox and I'm still friends with a bunch of the first year oxen. So many of them are so successful now. Um, and just because of what's instilled into them, you know, from that boot camp being broken down and then rebuilt and, and just kind of widow too, teaching them about life. Uh, you know, widows live some life definitely. Yep. And he's got some stories, great human being. And, uh, it's incredible. You know, the, the on ice products, really fun, really cool to watch and stuff. And, but what these boys learn and I get to see the behind the scenes, I get to go in the locker room and I go out to practices and stuff like that. And, and getting to see that stuff, which you'd get to see as a parent, um, it's just a, it's a different level. It's yeah. not just a sports team. It's family. It's a blue ox family. It honestly it is. is a blue ox family and everyone, everyone loves it. I mean, the championship game I played at Hendy, I had five or six blue ox fans in the stands shouting my name. Yeah. You know, I ran your family up at Hendy. Uh, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you see people wearing blue ox hats, shirts, stickers all the time. And, and Widow's really done a good job of, of poking us and on making these, these young boys and young men just great human beings and basing it off of their character. And, you know, we don't have a bad apple on the team. No, you know, there's no guy running yeah. around just, you know, junior hockey back when I played was, you know, drinking, partying, and playing hungover and getting fights. And it, Witt has changed the story. You know, it's yep. responsibilities. These kids work. They they go to school while they're playing. They're they're just, it's great. It's really cool to see. And, yeah, the boot camp really highlights everything that Witt is trying to teach them and, and, and breaks it into a 24-hour period where they break them down and kind of give them a reality check of this is what life is sometimes. Yep. So it's cool. Yeah, no, I agree. It's really cool. And and even our, our billet families, man, I can't say enough about our billets because those those billet families take those kids in as if they were their own. And yeah, they live there, but man, they teach them about life's lessons. They make them do chores. They they have them do things. And and a lot of our billet families have young kids coming through the system, through the hockey system, right? So um yeah. they, they have and, and and that player becomes a mentor to those kids. And it's so amazing to watch uh, the relationships that are formed through our billet families and our, our team, our, our players, and and the lifelong friendships that are formed and bonded. I mean, it's it's an amazing experience. And like you said, junior hockey gets a bad rap, but I got news for you: Jay Witta and Blue Ox team, um, they do it completely different. And I know that uh, the Boudreaux family has been a part of this. Uh, they were original owners, and they're still a part owner, I believe. But um, Jay does a lot of the things that the the NHL. He runs this team like an NHL team. He really does. I mean, the the from the bus that they drive in to the practices that they have to the friendships that they form to the pasta feeds on on the Thursday nights before a Friday night game at the different families' houses. Um, he makes them bond and I absolutely respect him like you wouldn't believe. So I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend. And, uh, again, the whole blue ox organization, um, all the way to you is just a, an amazing experience as a, as a family who just came into it last year. Uh, I, I can't say enough about it. So, uh, thank you. And, yeah. and thanks to the blue ox family for, for welcoming us. Yeah. Thank you again for, for coming into that blue ox family for letting me be on your podcast today. So, 
You're absolutely uh, welcome. And, and hey, just turning back on to, to mental health, if, if there's anything more that you need from us, please let us know. And if there's any other veterans that you think we can help, please let us know. Yeah, definitely. I got a few in the pipeline that I'm actually probably going to reach out to later today for you. So, because, you know, like I said, just do it. Just, just do it. Stop fighting yourself. You're not, you're not weak. Just, yep. You're weak for not getting help. Right. Honestly. You're That's how I feel right. at this point. So. Well, thanks again, Travis. I appreciate your time and for sharing your story with us. Um, life's a journey. Sometimes uh, it can be a struggle, right? Uh, as Travis had just mentioned. And basically, uh, it, it's upon you to to take control of your own life and go out there and, and seek out the help that's available to you. Uh, post-traumatic stress is a silent killer, but there are ways of healing. Operation Healing Heroes, Take About Fishing would like to help you, so please reach out to us. If you'd like more information about today's podcast, please visit our website, operationhealingheroes.org. And until next week, when we document the another veteran's life, um, we just want to say thank you and be safe. And veterans, please find the help that you absolutely deserve. This week's Veterans Resource, Nonprofit of the Week, is 22-0. We believe there's a better way to heal trauma and unhelpful negative emotions, not teach you to cope with them. The Trauma Resiliency Protocol, TRP, is for post-traumatic stress and acute stress. The Emotions Management Process, EMP, is for extreme negative triggers involving unhelpful emotions like sadness, anger, or shame, often accompanying traumatic or significant emotional events. During these therapies, you're not required to discuss the trauma. Everything centers around the triggered emotions. They become malleable when active. We change the state of the emotions, not the memory. There are no costs or fees associated with veteran coaching. Best of all, you can do the work remotely in the comfort of your own home. Visit www.220.org for more information. Operation Healing Heroes podcast is made possible by Sure Microphones, the leader in audio electronics since 1925. Visit them at www.sure.com and by Great Clips, the world's largest salon brand with over 4,400 locations in the U.S. and Canada. Great Clips, it's gonna be great.